Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Smart Cities Chronicles, your podcast for everything Smart Cities action, investment and outcomes. My name is Adam Beck, your host of the Chronicles. My day job, Smart Cities Council, Australia, New Zealand Executive Director, and uh, delighted to bring you episode 84 today. I've got with me uh, for this episode, Adrian Brossard, who is co-founder of the smart cities startup yellow box adrian thanks so much for joining us today thank you so much for having me adam excited to be here looking forward to this uh conversation adrian we haven't spoken to a lot of uh startups actually uh on the chronicles so uh keen to um keen to dig into all things sort of innovation startup world and of course uh, the journey that you guys have gone on but let's um Let's start by getting an introduction. We've got listeners all over the world. Uh, who are you and what do you do? Absolutely. So as you rightly mentioned, Adam, I'm one of the co-founders of Yellowbox. And I'll give, a, I'll give a little warning before I describe Yellowbox because we cover a few buzzwords in the tech smart city space. So we are an IoT, uh, share economy, uh, real asset startup. So what that actually is, is we're creating a network of public smart lockers to be used by people on demand to store items for a couple hours here and there, whether it's while they're exploring new cities, going to the beach, you know, exploring parks. And the goal is to just bring, bring a new level of convenience to the world, enable freer movement, create safer cities, and essentially give people a, a network solution and a network product to such a simple issue that everyone deals with every day. I'm sure anyone can think of countless times where they've been stuck carrying a bit more than what they would have liked and could have used a yellow box. So that's that's the vision, Adam. The the journey for Yellow Box, Adrian, you, you've got some co-founders there. Can we go back to the beginning? Um, I mean, what was it? Was it was it red wine around a, a, a dinner table? <laughs> what, what was it? A, was it a sort of epiphany one late one night or, or a bad experience that you had? Where was that sort of original spark for Yellowbox? Where did it come from? Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I'm one of four co-founders. So I have I have my three other co-founders, Vanessa, Hojun and Ben. And we've got, a, we've got a little bit of a typical story in, in the sense that we all studied at university together here in, here in Sydney at the University of New South Wales. So all, all university friends uh, studying similar degrees. And Vanessa actually was the first to rally the group together. So she, she Vanessa came up with an, uh, with an idea different to, a little bit different to what Yellowbox is today, but the, had planted the seed, rallied, the rest of us together and then we 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 all resonated with the idea i personally liked the idea because i was working in corporate at the time and the amount of times i've gone out for friday night drinks and had to take my work laptop out and uh you know always have <laughs> oh, I, I better not lose this laptop because work's gonna fire me if i do mm. as as a new starter in the corporate industry so that that's why i resonated uh ben and hojun also also had their own reasons so we we took the idea on board, kind of explored, okay, what, what avenues do we have as 
you know, we were in our final year of university. What, what are the actual avenues as students into starting a, a tech startup? You know, how do, how do we go mm. about that? We were, we were lucky that UNSW themselves actually had a little bit of an entrepreneurial space. So we went through, we went, firstly, we entered a UNSW pitching competition where that kind of forced us to really think about our business model really think about you know gaining some traction some customer validation and all, all to pitch at the end of the day so we we made it through that i think there were about 100 uh, participants or 100 competitors in that pitching competition we ended up having the finals at the new south wales parliament house and spoke spoke in in front of about 100 people there and pitched our product our, our idea which was still very early mvp stages i remember Vanessa was up on stage and we just had a essentially a, a timber box that we made ourselves and we we, we hacked a, a way to open the box while she was speaking and it, we, we practiced hundreds of times coming up to the presentation and the box didn't end up opening during the presentation <laughs> but we, we played it off so it was all good but we we ended up uh, being one of the winners in in that pitching competition in, in front of a series of really esteemed judges and, and a crowd there. And that gave us, I guess, a huge amount of confidence behind the idea. And it, it was like, okay, other people, other people also like this idea. Other people also think it could be something. So that was, that was the very start of when we decided, okay, we, I think we have something here that we're all passionate about. Let's, let's seriously pursue this. So from, from that, we, we did great to establish our UNSW network. They later on ended up in, in investing properly into us as the university themselves. We, there was a program as part of that as well. Um, they ended up taking us to Silicon Valley for a couple of weeks. We, so we got first in Silicon Valley, met a bunch of investors there, a bunch of people in the ecosystem in Silicon Valley. More recently now, at the start of this year, we took on another round of, completed another round of investment um, of, of the largest size, which has really helped us to scale up. And one of, one of our investors there was um, a company called Arcadis. I believe they're also a, a Smart City Council member, Adam. Indeed, yes. So their headquarters are in, are in the Netherlands. So Vanessa now lives full-time in the Netherlands and we now have a, you know, a yellow box Australia and a yellow box Europe presence. And it's, I, I guess it's just been amazing to, to grow the team a little bit, to already have a bit of an international presence, work in this smart city space, not just from a local Australian perspective, but also to have that global perspective now as well. So incredibly excited for how far we've come and for what the future looks like. And, and Adrian, give me a sense of time scale there. So that journey you've just described, was that a year or two or more or less? Yep. So the that, that seed idea probably came late 2018. Mm -hmm. Then that, that pitching competition took a couple of months after that when we decided to fully pursue it. It's like, okay, hey, now we have to... Now we have to actually build this thing. So the tech development took us about six months to develop a, a proper working product. And then from that six months, it's it's brain, it's been pretty quick. We we landed our first customer, we took on our first round of investment. Then 
maybe six months later, we took on that second second round of investment. We've now got some other people working within the team as well. So I'd, I'd say from finishing that product, it, it's probably been just over a year now. Yeah, okay. Um, we're going to get to sort of a, a, a bit of a discussion around um, some some lessons learned and some some key tips and hints that I'll ask you to share with us in terms of um, cities and their role in helping sort of incubate and and catalyze sort of smart cities, startups and and the innovation ecosystem. But just, um, just back to yellow box for a moment. I want to hear from you about a couple of other, um, a couple of other things from your perspective. And I'd like to, I'd like to talk sort of the, the tech element f- for a moment. I mean, smart cities is about using tech and data for good. Um, you made reference in your introduction, Adrian, to uh, kind of like the sharing economy um, yes. and, and those kind of things. So so the Yellow Box product and solution, um, you know, sort of we, we've got a combination of a, a very physical asset in the actual sort of locker or, um, storage area itself combined with sort of a very tech element, you know, smartphone, we've all got one in our pocket and the two come together and really you're offering a service that sort of helps, you know, people's lives, whether they're in a public place, you know, of all different shapes or sizes, they can store things safely, kind of a really elegant idea, really. Um, and sometimes it's those most basic ideas, which are the most impactful, you know, and, and yeah, goes to the heart of just solving those niggling problems that we've, we've always had. I mean, growing up and living uh, in, in, in sort of Southeast Queensland, as I do, you know, we spend probably two months of the year at the beach and you're forever trying to work out, you know, you, you, you get to the beach, <laughs> you get to the beach, you're all excited. And then it's like, you know, and I've got two teenagers now. So we've got four mobile phones. You usually got two sets of keys, you know, three, yeah. three purses, one wallet, and you're trying to wrap it up in either a hat or a towel, like just, you know, that, and I've had that problem for like 45 years now. Right. So, <laughs> so, um, so sorry, I, I'm, di- I, I'm digressing, but um, talk to me about the tech and I'm, I'm interested to know how tech's changing every day. Right, you know, yes. you, you blink and there's better and newer and cheaper and all that kind of stuff. Can you share a little bit about um, how you've gone with um, sort of uh, assessing, uh, procuring, building partnerships with relevant partners? How has the tech component gone as a young startup company yourself? How have you managed that process of of sort of narrowing in and honing in on sort of, you know, the, the best partners and solutions to, to support your overall uh, offering? Absolutely. So, look, fan, fantastic question, Adam. And tech tech development is, is by far probably the most complex hurdle to get over as a new startup. We were incredibly lucky that my co-founder, Ben, is an incredibly talented software engineer and one of my good mates for, for over 10 years. So we're very comfortable with his ability, him as a person, his vision for the company was incredibly aligned with ours and he's, he's a, an equal co-founder with us all, but incredibly talented software engineer. So all of, all of our tech is actually developed in-house 
So we don't, we don't outsource any of our tech development, which to be honest, uh, saved us in an incredible amount of time and money mm. because if you want to externally develop your tech, you're, you're automatically looking for, for something like the yellow box platform, the system where you've built that, that isn't just an app, but integrates with, with a real world uh, physical thing. Like you've just said, you're, you're looking at upwards of, of 50 to a hundred thousand dollars just, just to develop something like that. So incredibly fortunate to have Ben and the way we've gone about, you know, choosing what to develop, um, what, what vendors to say, host our, host our cloud data on. So all, I guess when we choose, choose pieces of tech to enable our own tech, we like to go with uh, tried and tried and tested platforms. So all, all our hosting is through say Google and that Google's Firebase product, which is, which is a cloud, cloud storage server. So we go with those tried and tested systems. And then the way we go about deciding what to develop internally ourselves comes down to one thing and it's figuring out what the customers want. Mm. So, and, it, and this, is, this is honed into startups these days from, from day one, it's, you know, speak to your customer, mm. learn what your customer wants, uh, find that product market fit. So before, before we, before Ben typed a single line of code, we had hundreds of customer interviews. We walked through mock-ups that we, that we developed ourselves with friends and family, uh, friends of friends in our university network to figure out what, what issues they were having, what, what problems they were having. And, you know, speaking to the customer is something we, we still do very regularly today. I'll, I'll give an example at the, at the moment, all we run all yellow box customer support. So we, we provide 24 seven customer support to all yellow box users. And we keep that, we keep that in house. So we run, we run yellow box support every time a user on the ground comes through that support line, every single person in the yellow box team gets notified immediately mm. on their mobiles and we run it on a first first to answer it serves it basis and because because of that our, our response time is less than 60 seconds and it also means that everyone within yellow box stays incredibly grounded with the product on the ground not just looking at it from a high level mm. and it's a great way to to learn internally and know what customers are having issues with what customers are not having issues with, what customers are demanding, what new features people would like to have. So it really just comes down to that, understanding your customer, speaking to your customer. And there's also an education piece there, especially with a new piece of technology, like what, what Yellowbox is. There's, there hasn't, it's not really anything like Yellow. Of course, Locker's been around for decades, but there's, there's nothing in terms of the places where we're putting lockers or the system that people interact with our yellow box network or people aren't used to having knowing a single locker brand as mm. a publicly accessible network if people know lockers at the moment it's oh i just know that this location has lockers mm. i don't know a single company that's providing lockers everywhere mm. so there is a bit of an education piece and it's doing that and learning from your customer on customers, Adrian, what was the 
first customer that you you sort of were able to to get on board? What what was that? Uh, what, what was that sort of day like when you got that first sort of first <laughs> first job? Yeah. So you know, look, this is this is a good a good story. As soon as we finished developing our product, it was like okay, done. Time to get this on the ground. So. All, all four of us walked around the city for for a couple of days, hold, holding a physical yellow box. Oh uh, no! A little version of our yellow box, and we our first market was was nightclubs. Mm-hmm. It was it was quite a an easy offering, as in the offering. Hey, we'll we'll give you a, an alternative to running a cloakroom, an unmanned alternative, a self serve alternative that that takes up less space, doesn't cost anything to run. Mm. It was quite quite an easy hurdle to educate those nightclubs over. But yeah, we we walked around with this physical yellow box over Sydney City for for a couple of days, just walking into different different nightclubs, different bars, uh, giving giving a 60 second pitch. Incredible amount of no's. Yeah. <laughs> but we got a couple of yeses too. So we we first installed with two with two nightclubs very early on which was in, incredibly exciting to see. Um, not so exciting to, to have customer support inquiries coming through at 1am and 2am at night, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but a, a fantastic learning curve. And uh, I think such a, such a good market for us to start in. And then since, since then we have, we have focused more on our smart city partners and partnering with local councils, because I guess that's what the vision really is to get these lockers into public spaces and to, uh, to bring it to the masses. You know, the more people that walk past a yellow box, the more people that have an opportunity to use one means that we're being more impactful. Mm. Mm. So recently our, our, our first council partner was with Randwick City Council. We're incredibly fortunate that they were a very forward thinking council and they liked the story behind us being a, a UNSW startup within, within, their catchment almost, and they, they liked our story, resonated with it, and yeah, we're, we're forward thinking. We're happy to pilot our product at Coogee Beach, so a massive beach here in Sydney, and that partnership has has been fantastic and one that we've nurtured uh, massively. So we've now expanded our partnership with them. Well, we've tripled the amount of lockers that were originally at Coogee Beach. We've rolled out to Maroopa Beach and also to one of their aquatic centers. And now we're about to fit out their office with staff lockers as well. So great partnership there. And that also taught us so much, kind of our first introduction to the smart city space and the council space and what, what we could provide councils. And I, get, I guess it's, it's important probably to stay, take a step back here that in the yellow box business, we have, we have these partners who we have property that we can place yellow boxes within. And that's a means to bring the product to the end customer, which is people in the public. So we we manage our partner relationships and then we manage our end customer relationships. So with our partner relationships, we, we meet with them and speak to them almost on a monthly basis, get their feedback on, on features and, and support that they like and require to manage the system, even though it's, it's in, we've made it incredibly hands-off for all our partners to make it kind of 
just really, a really low barrier piece of tech to implement in their councils. We experiment with the revenue model. So we, I, I guess in, in, some, in some places, we'll pretty much give away the yellow boxes and because we, we mostly charge the, the end user, the people mm -hmm. in the public, mm -hmm. around $2 an hour to use the yellow box. So oftentimes we'll go to councils and say, hey, we'll, we'll give you actually the yellow boxes for free. Mm. And we'll, we'll even give you a revenue share back, which is is in a lot of councils these days are saying they want to experiment with different types of revenue models and, and procurement models. But it's it still can be difficult to get get councils and get reception to something new. Um, I want to um, ask a final sort of question about yellow box before we turn to a conversation about how cities can help create the conditions for sort of a thriving, you know, startup um, ecosystem. Yeah. Uh, so the question I've got, Adrian, um, and, I, and I don't want to, um, I, I know you've got the current product and, you know, things are going well and you've got a long journey ahead of you, but can I ask the question of, um, you know, now you've got sort of somewhat of the, base platform in place, you know, it, it, I mean, you, you've got a pretty simple and elegant sort of solution here, right? There's a, there's a box, there's a, a, a smart cities device, which is the smartphone that we, that every single person has in their back yep. pocket. Um, is there, have there been those moments where you thought, okay, well, we're doing sort of, you know, personal locker systems today Um this could scale and in the future include, you know, A, B, C, D, E, and F. Have you had any um, uh, instances or um, sort of, uh, you know, close, uh, you know, close encounters with potentially a, a, a pivot or an addition to the current solution? Like, is it just yellow box and it'll only ever be yellow boxes or is there an element where, you know, this, this could scale and include other things and any, any thoughts there? Absolutely. Adam. I mean, so yellow box, what it is today is, is already a pivot on what that original seed idea was. So the, the original seed idea was, was more going to be like smart letter boxes for, for people, for people to put in their houses and then we said, no, we can, we we can democratize this even further. We can, we can have even more impact on the public if we make we make this an an equal public asset. Mm. But the way one way of thinking about yellow box is okay. Step one is to build our physical infrastructure mm. to build up all the locations that we want yellow boxes in to create that physical that physical network. And then step two is to maximize the value of that physical network. So, and, and that is done by releasing new features, providing, providing more benefit in different ways. So the one we're going to market with is, is on-demand storage. And that, that will always be a yellow boxes core offering, mm. but there is absolutely other features we want to roll out for, for example, or even, even expanding that storage and, potentially creating turning yellow boxes into a delivery network where yeah. one person can can put some shopping in their yellow box inside of Westfield 
mm-hmm. and then have it have it delivered to a yellow box closer to their home uh, mm. within a couple hours. So th- there's things like that. We're also speaking to already speaking to your mobility companies in in the bike sharing and scooter space mm-hmm. who, who actually approached us about wanting to use yellow boxes as an exchange point for bike helmets mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. bike locks to mm-hmm. enable that mobility. So th- th- there's, there's, there's an incredible amount of, of potential in those, those add on features and they, they, ab- they absolutely will come eventually. Yeah. Yeah. We just want to build up that, yeah, that that really comprehensive public network in, in yeah. multiple cities, and and yeah, Yellowbox Yellowbox is is going to be a, a global company, so mm. we we want to build that up in as many places as possible, and yeah, like I said, some sometimes the features aren't even ones that we come up with, but that that bike sharing example, they they came to us with it, and we're like, oh yeah, that's a that's a really good idea. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, what sparked me to ask that question, Adrian, was, of course, 2020, we've seen a massive surge in e-commerce and, yes. um, and, and parcel delivery and all those kind of things. So, um, yes. Uh, and, and what I, uh, what fascinates me about this space and why I'm so interested is this really interesting intersection of the, the most digital and the most physical. And, um, how, cause you know, I'm a, I'm a sort of a city shaper at heart. Um, and so how our digital lifestyles and digital decisions are resulting in us having to think about the, the sort of the physical planning and urban design solutions is a, it's just a really exciting space. So, um, okay, well, look, that's, um, uh, that's been a, a, a great overview of, uh, your journey as a startup. Let's, um, let's get a bit th- theoretical at the moment. Um, and, and Adrian, what I'd like to do is I'd like us to have a conversation and um, I want to identify the top three um, recommendations that you would have for a city when it comes to catalyzing a startup ecosystem, you know, catalyzing sort of a, a, an innovation uh, network. So, uh uh, let me use some questioning to help us collectively identify those those top three tips for cities. So yep. the, fir- the first thing I want to ask in terms of sub-questioning is um, what has been, what's been your biggest pain point in success? What could you yep. share? What, what can you share on that one first? So with, I don't, I don't think this is going to be a surprise, especially in, in this council space, but the biggest pain point is the current procurement guidelines. <laughs> yep. So I, I knew that was going to be in the top three. So yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that like, one was going like to come. I, said, I, I don't think it's a surprise here. And I'm, I'm sure like it, it's, I'm sure a lot of startups would have the same answer because as, as a, as a, as a startup, we look at, we look at these procurement guidelines and they really don't, they're really not fit for a startup company. Like mm. they're, they're, they're clearly made for, for bigger companies, well-established companies looking to work with council. Mm-hmm. And the, the procurement guidelines for a startup are, are incredibly hard to, to get over. And it, it comes to, I'll, I'll give you some real examples of some, some issues I've had going through procurement guidelines. So one of, you know, everyone would know one of, one of the common practices the council's procuring is they need to have multiple quotes. Mm-hmm. So I've actually come into run into the issue where 
because yellow box is a first of its kind piece of technology mm -hmm. and i've i've had a council want want yellow boxes but because they couldn't get <laughs> other quotes from other companies offering the same product they they didn't know what to do and uh, essentially couldn't go further with the procurement wow which which is wow it just you know, he, that's that's so in my opinion so in, incredibly inhibiting to yeah cultivating innovation that, that, that's soul destroying i mean that, that's, it, like it's the whole that, tender that was that was a tough one yeah. yeah the other one is the procurement guidelines for for different kinds of revenue models so the revenue model i, I mentioned earlier i've in some cases, and this is this is not just on a local council level. I've also had a conversation on state council levels, and sometimes I've had to change the revenue model. Even you know, instead of giving yellow boxes, you know, for free up front, mm -hmm. because it didn't fit into, there were no real real procurement guidelines around a free product. Mm -hmm. um, I've <laughs> I've had to sometimes embed an actual fee upfront cost just for the, the just to make it boxes. yeah. But what a council could have had it for free. Yeah. Sometimes I've had to charge for that. Um, and I do, I do have a recommendation on on procurement guidelines as well, especially for startups. I I actually think that there should be some higher level accreditation or kind of grant scheme similar to other startup grants from a state or federal level that can almost give startups in Australia a badge confirming that yes they're they're an innovative company yes they're an Australian startup mm -hmm. and that companies with that badge have a different procurement process that they can go through with local councils or something that because I, I get I guess the whole the whole blocker with local councils is that it you know people don't want to take uh, risks Mm -hmm. which is completely understandable. I have no criticism against that mindset. You know, adopting something new can be a bit risky. Mm -hmm. But I think if we take that, if we take that risk away from a higher level and actually promote local councils to support these startups who have this, this startup badge could be in promote innovation and accelerate technology adoption just incredibly. Okay. Procurement, which I knew was going to be in the top three, is <laughs> is clearly noted. Let's um, let's identify another one, but let me use this question to sort of prompt uh, yep. prompt prompt an idea. Um, has there been an instance where um, you were sort of uh, you sort of made the statement, "Oh, if only the city blank." Like finish that sentence. If only the city, you know, if only <laughs> if if only the city could have this. If only the city promoted this. If only so so we've dealt with procurement. Yep. Complete that question. That that sort of statement for me. If only the city. Yeah, I think it's almost if 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 only the city enabled tech adoption and and smart city adoption and. And look, that's not a blanket statement because there, there definitely are some councils, especially in this local space who, who are starting to uh, open or like accelerators or, or startup hubs and ecosystems. I think, uh, I think I'll give a, a shout out to Newcastle Council who I believe are doing something along that lines. But I still think it could be more. 
So mm-hmm. I'll, give, I'll give an example of what's happening in Amsterdam. They Amsterdam recognizes that they have a series of different higher level problems with their city. Things, you know, from, from waste management to, to mobility. And what, what Amsterdam actually does, they're, they're incredibly good at promoting startup uh, collaboration. So they'll actually release almost like a, a hackathon of mm-hmm. these problems that their city's having. And they'll release uh, maybe a, a series of 10 different problems to the startup community and say, we want your solutions. Mm-hmm. And there's a formal process of startups to apply to each of those problems say, here's our solution. Here's how we can solve that issue. Mm-hmm. And then it's on the council to free, freely choose who they think has the best solution. And to, to me, that's, I think that's really engaging the startup community and really promoting those innovative solutions to huge problems. Yeah, but, but is there a commitment, Adrian, that Amsterdam is going to follow through? I mean, ideas are cheap, right? Ideas are everywhere, yeah. but are, are they genuinely looking to invest? This is sort of legit. Yes. Yeah, so, sorry, it's not. It's not just ideas from the community. It's it's actual ready solutions. solutions. Yeah. From okay. Startups in the space. So these startups promote their product that's that's already out there and working. And yes, there is absolutely a commitment on the, on the council side to invest. And it's because it's because they're solving big problems that, that the council's having, like, you know, waste management and especially with the canal system in, in Amsterdam is a huge problem that they're, they're going to have to invest into anyway. And now they've sourced all the possible solutions from existing companies all the, all the way to the innovative side on the startup spectrum. So I th- I think it actually is a win-win for everyone. Yeah, okay. Okay. Okay, good. So with that one maybe something along the lines of collaboration to, you know, solution identification and things like that. Okay, that's good. Yeah, I, th- I think I think just having a more formal formal channel mm-hmm. and expectations to facilitate that. Yeah. Okay, doke. Good. Good, good, good. Third and final one. So let me pitch the prompting question to you this way. Um, what's the best experience you've had with a city? And of course, the idea there is that we want to see more of that. Is, is there a really nice, memorable moment or experience you've had with local government that you'd love to see more of? Yeah, absolutely. So, so Ran, Ranwick Council, for sure, being one, one of our early backers, uh, innovative in in the way that way they thought and saw the product was has absolutely been a one of our most favorable experiences with local council and look the, the way the way that happened was was still quite standard you know it started with a pilot mm-hmm. which yeah you know i think i think is the way that all councils should start with adopting technology i, I don't think anyone should uh, rush in blindly just because we say we have amazing tech so i think start start with a pilot define a clear timeline and clear success metrics. So that, that pilot with Randwick Council in, with the first bank of 20 lockers ran in Coogee for the one summer. So around, around three, four months. Mm-hmm. We, we met our success metrics and then it, then it was like, okay, let's, exp- let's expand this. It worked. Let's, let's double down. Let's look at the data, see how many more lockers we need. So we, we put more lockers there. And then it was a matter of saying, okay, where else is this going to add value? We've got other beaches here. We've, we've also got an aquatic center. 
let's see how it goes in these places again. And just that, that process of recognizing that, okay, look, we might not be too sure if this adds, adds value at first. Let's, let's start with a low cost pilot, incredibly mm. low investment. And then let's, let's let the data tell us, let's see mm. what the, what the community actually thinks, mm. how many, you know, so things like how many people use the yellow boxes, what, what their experience rating is. So after every yellow box use, we ask for a rating out of 10. So what that experience rating is, what, how many people are using yellow boxes at multiple locations within the council now that we've got a network, things like that. And just having those defined upfront and if, and if they're met it, you expand it. Mm. Sounds like uh, above all, this little story, Adrian, is more about just culture and trust and collaboration and, yes. and w w willingness to sort of solve problems together. So I, uh, sounds kind I of really so nice. <laughs> I think, I think, it, yeah, I think, I think there was a big cultural uh, aspect there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, good on Rangwit. That, that's, um, that's fantastic. Yeah. Okay, uh, Adrian, last question before we wrap here. Um, the year ahead, uh, more of a personal one. Um, what are you looking forward to? Um, any sort of pet projects, you know, things on the horizon that are coming? What, what's exciting you about the next 12 months, even though we're in a very much a, a, a sort of a, a challenging time at the moment? What are you excited about? Yeah, I think one thing that the whole technology industry is benefiting off now and you know a, a theme that everyone's seen come out of come out of this COVID-19 is the acceleration in techno technological uh, adoption so companies are now not not just in the public space but also very much so in the private space are adopting technology so quickly now that startup startups are now almost struggling to keep up with with demand which is incredibly exciting to see I think there's also now a lot more people for the startup industry in general. I think there's a lot more people who are now deciding to pursue startup ideas rather than, rather than, you know, maybe leaving corporate jobs like, like I did or leaving other things to pursue an idea that they think would be successful. And that's also driven by that technological adoption. Now that more people are wanting tech and looking at, ways that they can solve existing problems with a, a technological lens has just created massive opportunity for this industry. And I think it's, you know, it's driving everything from an, an increased amount of investment into the startup space as well. For, for example, 2020 is this, we've never had more uh, dry powder venture capital in the startup industry than we do now in 2020. Yeah. It's yeah. A, an odd, an odd year to, to see that happen. So I think, I think it's an incredibly exciting time for this space, not, not just in the smart city space, but startups everywhere. And yeah, I'm excited to see, you know, friends in the space and new people enter it. Well, Adrian, uh, it's been a delight uh, chatting with you today. Uh, I wanted to thank you uh, very much. So for joining us, taking time out of your startup schedule, uh, and, uh, you know, really looking forward to, to tracking the journey of, of Yellow Box. But uh, uh, on behalf of our listeners, thanks so much for your time today. It's been fascinating. Thank you so much, Adam. It's been a pleasure to join you today. 
Uh, and for our listeners, um, we've been chatting with Adrian Brossard, who's one of the co-founders of the Smart Cities startup Yellowbox. If you're in front of a browser, open it up, uh, head to yellowbox.app, A-double-P. Uh, you can check out uh, what they're doing. Um, certainly uh, an elegant example of technology and data for good, which is, of course, what we love and advocate for at the Smart Cities Council. Uh, and for our listeners that aren't subscribing to the Chronicles, you can do so. Head to your favourite podcast platform. You'll find us there. Just search for the Smart Cities Chronicles. Uh, looking forward to bringing you another episode soon. Um, head to our website to catch any uh catch any previous episodes, smartcitieschronicles.com. Stay safe, stay well, everyone. Uh, Keep high levels of optimism. We look forward to bringing you another episode of The Chronicles very soon. Thanks so much for listening.